0: Good evening, everyone. My name's Phil, as, um, as Em and, and uh, Miles said before, and it's a joy to be here with you this morning. And I already know many of you, but it'll be a joy to get to know more of you as the year progresses, and I have some more involvement in Sundays. And this week, we're continuing our summer series on Encounters with Jesus in the Book of Luke. And today, we come to perhaps one of the most famous stories that Jesus told. Perhaps the most famous story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a familiar story to to many of us. A man is, is on a journey and is attacked, beaten, robbed, left for dead. And three other men pass by in succession. And we act as flies on the wall. As we listen to this story, we're the flies on the wall. We get to see their reactions, how they react to the man in need. The first two men are men of respectable religious standing. They're a Jewish priest and a Levite, and they ignore and avoid. But the third man is a Samaritan. And if you were listening to this story at the time when Jesus told it, you would have thought, I could bet you, $1,000, he's going to ignore and avoid him too. And the reason is that Jews and Samaritans were hostile to one another. They didn't associate with one another. Samaritans were an offshoot the nation of Israel and they were considered half-castes who didn't believe in the true God. But this is not what happens. In a surprising twist, the Samaritan not only sees this man in great need but has compassion on him in his vulnerable situation and extravagant compassion going out of his way to ensure that he's cared for. It's a beautiful story in, in many ways. But my wife, Katie, and I have been reflecting this week. We've kind of been racking our brains and thinking, of all the kids' Bibles that we've come across, I think it's only in one of them that we've seen the story of the Good Samaritan. Almost every kid's Bible omits it. And I, think, I suspect the reason for that is that the moral of the story can just seem to be, be a good person. And what's distinctively Christian about that? Everyone believes that's a good thing, right? So what's distinctively Christian about this parable that Jesus tells? What does it teach us about God? When we think of this story, I think we remember the story, but we forget the context. We forget that this is actually a discussion. This is a back and forth between Jesus and an expert in the law, a lawyer. So to start with, let's have a look at that interaction to get our minds into what's happening. This is verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. What strikes me as I've been reading these passages, God's standard for eternal life is so high, isn't it? loving god with all that we have and loving our neighbors ourselves god is the almighty god of the universe and worthy of all of our love and devotion he knows whether his creatures have loved him and have loved their neighbor and he decides who to receive into eternal life god has high standards and I wonder how this high standard makes you feel. Perhaps it makes you feel a bit deflated. I know what I've done wrong. I've failed. I know the people I've hurt. Or maybe it makes you defensive. What are you trying to say, Jesus? Like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm fulfilling all of my responsibilities. Well, how did it make the lawyer feel? What was the lawyer's reaction to this? After all, he's got got quite a high opinion of himself. Did you notice the reason why he comes to Jesus in the first place and asks this question about eternal life? It wasn't to learn. He's not there to learn about eternal life. Verse 25, he's there to test him. I think we all know this, this scenario, don't we? I mean, many of you are school students or uni students. You know what happens, someone puts up their hand, And ask the question. Everyone else goes, that's not a question. He's just showing off. She's just showing off. Or just trying to embarrass the teacher. We know that scenario. That's what the lawyer's doing. He's got a high opinion of himself. So look at how he responds to Jesus' command. Do this and you will live. This is verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? He actually gets defensive. He wants to justify himself, show that he is in the right. He wants to show that he is fulfilling all of his obligations. So when he says, who is my neighbour? He's actually saying, who do I have to love? Who do I have to love? What's the fine print? I just want to make sure I'm fulfilling all my obligations. What's the fine print? This lawyer believes in a God who just gives people what they deserve. What does your reaction to God's high standards reveal about the version of God that you believe in? You know what I discovered this week? I find it really hard. To say sorry. I was driving in the car and someone from the back seat made a comment. It wasn't even criticising my driving, not even a criticism, just a comment, an observation, noticing something. You know what it's like, right? Maybe a bit of advice. And I snapped. I snapped at this person. I was very unkind in, in the words that I used. And I tone of voice. And I found it really hard to say sorry. And I think that's because I do want to justify myself. I do like to think that I'm in the right most of the time. And I'm proud of my driving and and I can get quite defensive about that. But under the surface, when when I do get defensive like that, when I'm driving or when I'm in an argument with someone, I think... Really, I'm believing in a God who just gives people what they deserve and gives me what I deserve. And so, actually, I do have to justify myself in the face of accusations or weaknesses or mistakes to maintain this appearance of goodness and rightness. But this is what the lawyer and I get all wrong. We're missing out on mercy. We're missing out on mercy. The reason why the Samaritan is good is not because he's doing his duty, fulfilling all of his obligations. It's because he shows mercy. And we can all forget that God shows us favor on the basis of mercy. He has rescued us from sin and death, not because we deserve rescuing, but because he's merciful. This is the story of the Bible. Have a look at these verses from another place in the Bible, from Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. You know the show Bondi Rescue, It's a TV show which films the daily lives and routines of lifeguards at Bondi Beach as they deal with dangerous water situations in the Australian summer, a danger with which we are, are quite familiar and tragically too familiar with in Australia. And you know what puzzles me about this show? It's the struggling swimmer. It's the struggling swimmer who is calling out for help and putting their hands in the air and, and we see them. We see them on our screen. We see the, the lifeguards zoom up to them and, and get them on the surfboard or the boat and get them back out, save them. And then they get to the beach and you know, the camera crew's following them and, um, and they, they get interviewed and they say, I oh, know, I was fine. I was fine. I don't know what the fuss is about. And then some of them, you know, five minutes later, they're back in the water in the exact same spot. You think, What are you doing? We saw you. <laughs> We saw you floundering for help and, and waving your arms around. We saw you get rescued. You're on TV. The problem is, they want to justify themselves, they want to appear okay. As Christian people, we are rescued people. So we don't have to be defensive. We don't have to justify ourselves. It's okay to admit that we're a bad swimmer or that we made a bad decision in the water or just got overpowered by a, by a massive rip. We've been rescued. So I think it's worth thinking about the times in our lives when, when we do get defensive, when we do snap at someone or, or are short with someone or get angry at someone because they're threatening our, our sense of being right or being in the right. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to need help, to need advice, to need mercy. Eternal life depends on God's mercy. But of course, we can't escape the force of Jesus' words at the end of this passage, can we? Have a look at it. Verse 37. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Encountering Jesus in in the book of Luke shows us that God is a God of mercy. And that is the reason why we are called to show mercy to, Shown mercy, we are to show mercy. Have a look at this passage. This is what Jesus said. This is from Luke 6, just a couple of chapters before in in Luke. This is what Jesus said just before he resolutely set out towards Jerusalem, where he knew he was going to die for the sake of people who are hostile to him, like us. This is what he said. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. To Jesus there is such a close relationship between receiving mercy and giving mercy, being forgiven and forgiving, being loved and loving. While we were still hostile to God, he sent his son Jesus to be a neighbour to us. He saw us in need and gave up everything, showing us extravagant compassion as his enemies so that we might be rescued from sin and death. This is good news for those of us who are deflated about God's high standard and who know that they've failed. And it's good news for those of us who are defensive, who like to be in the right all the time and don't like to admit our mistakes. We are shown mercy. And so we are to show mercy to others. And because he loved us while we were enemies, we are to love even our enemies too. The Jew and the Samaritan, they were culturally and religiously very antagonistic to one another, they would not have associated with one another under any circumstances. But God's people are to love even their enemies and those who are different. It doesn't matter whether the person who has need is older or younger, has more or less money than you, has the same or, or different political views, has the same or different religious views. or Will be able to return the favor and give you something back, or not? Two years ago, um, my wife and I were really struggling to to make it to Growth Group. Uh, we just had a a young baby, our first uh, child. We were tired. Life was hectic, um, and we really needed spiritual encouragement. And we couldn't go to Growth Group together um, unless you know, someone else looked after the kids. So a young guy from 6pm, someone who's in this room, in his first year out of school, <laughs> volunteered to babysit our kids, or babysit our, our one kid at the time, every Tuesday night for a full year. And this enabled us to go to Growth Group together and enabled us to grow in our marriage and to receive spiritual encouragement. He didn't necessarily have any experience doing that. Um, we were older than him. We were at a very different life stage to him. But he saw our need and he had mercy on us. I have distinct memories of him uh, you know, cuddling our kid and joining in on, on family prayers at the end of the day. And, and um, you know, we'd come home and say, oh, how was it? And he'd say, oh, you know, just a little bit unsettled. I.e., oh, yeah, he was holding the baby for 45 minutes uh, while we are out. I praise God for him because he demonstrated God's kindness to us when we needed it. He was a neighbour to us. He embodied God's mercy to us. So who can we be a neighbour to? Who is in need in front of our very eyes? Maybe there's a need that we're blind to or a person that we're blind to because they're different to us. I think as busy people with phones and also with headphones, one of the massive barriers for us in being like the Good Samaritan is not being present in the moment. Jim Elliott wrote this, wherever you are, be all there, wherever you are be all there his idea was that God has placed us somewhere (laughs) and wherever we are God has placed us there and there is need and we have opportunities to love our neighbour are we all there? the Samaritan was he was all there he saw the need he acknowledged it and his heart was ready to interact with even his enemy in love What could it look like for us to show mercy? It could well be on the street as you walk past somebody who's in obvious need or someone begging on the street and interacting with them in love and asking what the need is. It could be engaging charitably with someone on social media who has radically different opinions to you. It could be going out of your way to befriend the lonely person, to bring them into your group of friends. could be responding to harsh words from a family member with gentleness and kindness. It could be sponsoring a compassion child on the other side of the world. There is need all around us. And as people who have been shown great mercy in the Lord Jesus, so we are to show mercy too. Amen.